I have always loved this passage, and I suspect one of the reasons for that is having grown up in Ethiopia, same reason that the Enses uh, 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 have, and probably in the Schneiders. Part of Ethiopia is in our heart. You can't uh, spend time in a country without appreciating every reference to that country uh, in the Bible. But another reason I love this story is that it forms the seed beginnings of the first nation that became Christianized. And you guys know that I have always, not always, but always in this church, had a great interest in studying about nation discipling. Uh, Americans tend to be so individualistic, they only think about conversions of individuals, and they tend to be very skeptical when they hear of entire tribes coming to Christ within a few weeks. But, you know, this has been God's pattern down through history, even nations over a short period of time uh, becoming uh, Christians. Now, in this case, it started with the Ethiopian eunuch. He went back to Ethiopia and uh, converted Queen Candace. The Apostle Matthew was invited to Ethiopia shortly after that. And by the way, uh, Matthew and Thomas were two, the two most educated of the twelve apostles, just like the Apostle Paul later on. They studied at the feet of Gamaliel. And uh, Matthew, when he came to Ethiopia and met with the eunuch, um, the eunuch was just astonished that he was able to speak all of these different uh, Ethiopian languages. And he asked him how in the world he learned these. He said, well, before Pentecost, he had learned on his own seven languages. But after Pentecost, he was able to preach the gospel in any language that he, he came across in order to be able to communicate with people. I think that's the kind of tongue that the New Testament talks about. And it was a wonderful thing. So for the next 30 years, the gospel spread incredibly in the land of uh, Ethiopia. And uh, at some point, I forget now when in that 30-year period it was, um, he was uh, the king came to Christ uh, through the healing of his son. Uh, Matthew healed his, um, his son, and then he was martyred, not by the king, but by somebody else when he was in Ethiopia. And so this rather random event between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is the beginning of an entire nation uh, becoming Christianized. Now, we know it's not random because we've got the Scriptures to tell us, and Philip knows it's not random because the Spirit's told him to go. He knows that every detail of this has been orchestrated by God. Uh, he had planned it ahead of time. It was sovereign grace. And so this morning, I want to look at God's sovereign grace to every race. And we're going to begin at verse 26. Acts 8, verse 26. And the next day, wrong chapter, 8 verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. Uh, the angel didn't tell him why he was to go down there. And this is very typical of God's guidance. The Lord doesn't tell us everything we want to know. And we're going to be seeing why later on. Usually he gives us just a little bit of information. And when we follow through in obedience to that, he opens up more in terms uh, of guidance. But before we even get there, I want to emphasize a fact that is often missed. And that is that angels do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. Humans do. Now, angels will uh, prompt a human to uh, preach the gospel in a given area or will prompt individuals to go to an area to be able to hear the gospel. We hear stories of this all the time in Islamic nations where an angel or maybe a, a, a dream or something like that, but they are told to go to this 
uh, one crossroads at such and such a time the next day and they meet a guy that's got a broken down car who's been smuggling in Bibles, you know, and he gets converted. Uh, you just hear these stories all of the time. But the point I want to make is that angels, you never find them preaching the gospel. The Great Commission was not given to angels. It was given to the church. And when I was younger, I often wondered why that was the case. I mean, think about it. Angels could do a far better job than humans do in preaching the gospel. Wouldn't it be awesome if God just allowed angels to manifest themselves to every man, woman, and child, preach the gospel? I think they could do it far more effectively than I could do it. But that's not God's way. God has chosen to choose very weak, stuttering, fallible, (laughs) ornery sometimes creatures like you and like I to extend the gospel of his kingdom. And many of the excuses that we make as to why we're not involved in sharing the gospel are excuses, excuses that just do not wash. They're excuses that boil down to this. I'm not good enough. Well, get over it. (laughs) You know, no human is good enough, but God is good enough and the gospel is good enough. His grace is good enough. And God delights in choosing weak instruments to powerfully expand his kingdom. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, God says that He has not chosen many wise, mighty, or noble. Instead, He has chosen the foolish, the weak, the base, the despised things of this world. And so, maybe you might think that you are just so inadequate or you've got so many sins. Well, I challenge you to find any great saint in the Bible that did not have some besetting sin. Uh, you find any saint for me that was a hero of the faith in Hebrews 11 that did not have some kind of a weakness that he really struggled over. God has just delighted to cause His strength to be manifested in our weakness. And as we pointed out from verse 4 of this chapter, that privilege has been given to every single believer. All who were scattered went preaching except for the apostles. And so the go in the gospel has never been revoked. Verse 26 says, arise and go. And you might be thinking, well, that's fine for Philip. You know, he was an evangelist. And I want to point out, he was not an evangelist at this point. It's not till later on in the book of Acts that he becomes an evangelist. At this point, he's simply a deacon. And he's doing what all of the other people were doing. They're just gossiping the gospel. They're out there sharing their faith that they're so excited about that has transformed their lives. And over time, it becomes evident, this guy's got a special gifting. We need to set him aside to the office of evangelist. Why? Because we can see God has given him the gift of evangelist, but they were all involved in evangelism. Don't forget that Mark's gospel ends by saying it's those who believe that spread the gospel. Ephesians tell tell us that officers equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's sheep who reproduce sheep. Acts 8, 1 through 4 shows that it's common believers who take seriously this go of the gospel. And so a part of God's sovereignty is God gets to choose how He wants the gospel to go forward. And you can't say, Lord, I think it would be a lot better if Phil Kaiser and uh, Glenn and maybe a few others you know, go out and they share the gospel. I just can't do it. And God says, no, look, I'm sovereign and I have chosen to use weak vessels. You're all to be gossiping the gospel. You're all to be involved in this great commission. Notice, too, that God calls Philip to leave when things are going great. Okay? He's, he's already been involved in some awesome things that have been happening in Samaria. Great crowds are coming to Christ. And this does not look like a very opportune time to be leaving the action and going off into a desert, you know, a very deserted, not very well-traveled road. But I think the important point is 
that Philip submits to God's sovereignty and he goes where God wants him to go. And I think we would do well to imitate Philip. Sometimes God calls us to arise when we want to rest a little bit. Perhaps you've come home after a long, hard day's work and you just want to plop into the sofa and watch TV and you feel the Spirit prompting you to minister to your wife or to minister to the kids. And you say, oh, I'm just so tired. I don't really feel like it. But just being willing to follow God's promptings no matter what. Sometimes God prompts us to arise and go when things are going great. Lord, why do you want me to leave when everything's going great? You know, why do I have to start this new venture? But we need to be sensitive to the Lord's leading. We need to follow Him uh, to arise and go. God is sovereign with His plan. And the neat thing is He's just given us the privilege of being a part of the spread of His kingdom. The second thing that we see in this passage is that sometimes God sovereignly brings missions to us. And that's what he did with this uh, Ethiopian eunuch who came uh, to Jerusalem. Verse 27, So he arose and went, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Here is a guy who had traveled from a faraway country and had come to Jerusalem seeking truth. And God, in the same way, in our own generation, has mysteriously moved and brought multitudes of foreigners to our doorsteps. Many come via schools. Last year, there were 565,000 international students who came to America. And we bless the Lord for this. This is wonderful. During the last 10 years, more than 1 million people have graduated from foreign countries, have graduated from our universities. God has sovereignly opened up the, the doors of mission right on our own doorsteps. Last year, 1,163 international students from 103 countries enrolled at UNO. Creighton has quite a few less. They have students from 40 countries. Clarkson has students from 44 countries. And many of these people are seekers. Now, they may not look like seekers on the outside any more than maybe this Ethiopian eunuch looked like he was a seeker. But I see a lot of parallels between the eunuch and the international students who are coming uh, to our country. This eunuch was very religious, and yet he did not have salvation. He was in a dead religion. And there is many people who have come from various types of religions. There is a huge contingent of Saudi Arabians at the University of Nebraska in Omaha. Very religious, but without the gospel. This eunuch was motivated. He'd come all the way to Jerusalem, but he finds apathy in Jerusalem. He'd gone there searching, and no one told him about Jesus. Well, the Pharisees certainly didn't. The Sadducees didn't. The priests didn't. Um, and even the church somehow missed out. But in verse 28, it says he was returning and he was returning empty-handed. This was an incredible lost opportunity. Incredibly lost opportunity. Did you realize that less than 10% of international students ever see the inside of an American home? And when they write about what were their favorite experiences, they said it was being in an American home. And yet, uh, they have a difficulty getting inside. Uh, what do they see when they come to America? They see many people who are just not interested at all. Uh, they have a hard time making friends. Many of them are lonely. Now, they're motivated. They're very motivated. But in America, we find people who are apathetic. And I think they're apathetic for the same reason that the people in Jerusalem were apathetic. It was inconvenient. It is inconvenient. And God shoved the church out of Jerusalem with that persecution to shove them out of their mode of convenience. 
Like many who come here, the eunuch was economically privileged, but he had an emptiness and a need. Uh, many times people look at the economically privileged people who come to our borders and they think, boy, they're not going to be interested in the gospel. They have everything that they want. I think that's a very misguided assumption. There are many people who feel empty, 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 even though outwardly they look like they have everything. They're in government positions or they're children of, of government uh, people. And so I see in verses 27 through the beginning of verse 28 a scary reminder of how easy it is to completely miss incredible opportunities that God plops right in our laps. Here was a man who had the potential of changing the entire nation of Ethiopia, and yet the Jews ignored him, and somehow the church had missed him. It has been estimated that between one quarter and one half of all the world's future leaders are presently in universities here in America. That is an absolutely stunning statistic. Between one quarter and one half of all future leaders in the world are probably studying in America's universities. Well, that means that there's the potential for reaching countries we couldn't get into without expending one dollar, without traveling one mile. Uh, it's an incredible opportunity, and yet UNO cannot find host parents to host international students. To me, this is just a, a sad, sad tragedy. Why? Because it's inconvenient. And sometimes God has to do things to stir, stir us up, to move us out of our convenience. It's been estimated that over 60% of international students in America have come from the least evangelized countries in the world. You know the 1040, uh, 10th parallel and 40. Between that, uh, those two borders, that, those are the most unevangelized countries in the world. In fact, some of these countries are so closed, you couldn't get an evangelist into that country if you try. And yet we're ignoring incredible opportunities that God's opened up to us right in our laps. Now, what we do is we pray that George would do it. We pray, Lord, please raise up missionaries for the 1040 window. And yet we're not willing to take any steps to minister to them here in our own country. Um, and to me, it's just a, a, a tragedy of enormous proportions. And God has even anticipated all the excuses that Americans love to make. One excuse is we can't afford to make mission trips. Well, here are people who are paying all expenses. In fact, UNO has just raised the rates to $500 a month. Okay? Isn't God good? <laughs> God's saying, look, okay, if you can't afford it, you Americans are so poor. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll help you out. Uh, another excuse is we can't learn a different language or a different culture. Well, here is God sovereignly moving and making people who are motivated to learn our language and to learn our culture. They're really motivated. You're just helping them. Another excuse is that missions is too dangerous. Well, then engage in missions here. It's the students who are facing all of the inconvenience, very little inconvenience that we have to face. It's almost as if God is saying this. Look, guys, you're not taking the Great Commission seriously. And so I'm going to try to help you out. Uh, I've already got the Bible translated into all kinds of languages. So you don't have to do any translation work. All you have to do is hand them a Bible. I've got literature in all kinds of languages. You don't need to worry about that. I'm bringing them to your doorstep so you don't have to travel if you get airsick. Don't worry about it. I'm bringing them here. You know, I'm for, uh, providing income because I know you guys are, think you're so poor and you can't afford another uh, person there. I'm going to make them motivated to want to be your friends. And so he's saying, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? God has provided an open door that could not be easier. It could not. When you think about it, it could not be easier. And so my question is, will you be like the Jews in Jerusalem who just want to be satisfied in their convenience? Or will you be like Philip 
who goes up into those chariots and who engages people in conversation and looks for opportunities and follows the Lord when the Lord prompts him. When you think about it, God could not have made it easier. And uh, if we say that we're interested in missions and we're not involved when God has brought missions right to our doorstep, I can't believe that we really are interested in missions. I don't think God's interested in our excuses. Um, uh, but let's just look at it on the positive side. Rather, I know guilt's a lousy motivator, so let's look at it the positive side. Just think of how incredible you would feel if the person who stayed in your home became the president of a country and turned that country to Christianity. And you'd say, whoo, I had a part of that nation, you know, coming to Christ. Or maybe it wasn't the president or even the president's wife. Maybe the person you had in your home was simply the wife of a mayor, but through her influence... Uh, salvation was coming to that city. Or maybe it's just somebody who uh, later on became an economist. And because of your talking about biblical economic principles, that country was revolutionized by the biblical economics that he had learned. Or maybe you just had somebody who influenced this person, who influenced this person, but that next person down the road was the one who then influenced the nation as a whole. Uh, there are, There is incredible potential when you realize how many of the future leaders of this world, God has brought here as a, as a testimony to us. We can have missions here. We can have missions overseas. And we need to take advantage of that. We need to love internationals with the love of Christ. Make them feel welcome. Encourage them. Invite them for dinner. If you can't host them, do other things with them. Play with them. Sports. But here are people who need the love of Christ. The third point is that God... And by the way, I think that sermon right by all by itself is just worth coming here because if you realize how incredible God has moved upon the, the face of this earth and making missions possible, uh, it, it just blows my mind to think of how God has orchestrated things sovereignly. But the third point is that God sometimes sovereignly sends us like he's been sending me out of Omaha and uh, this was not a long-term trip for Philip. It was short-term missions. In fact, it was very short-term missions. And throughout the book of Acts, you're going to find three kinds of missions. You're going to find missions where people are sent out. Uh, you're going to find missions where uh, that long-term and they're sent out short-term. And then the third kind is where uh, people are brought uh, to you by the gospel. But God prepares the way by saying, arise and go. Philip takes the initiative. It says he arose and he went. And it's in the going that God's further steps of guidance so frequently take place. I've already mentioned that the initial guidance of the Lord here is quite incomplete. And I think this is just so typical of the Lord's guidance. And there may be other reasons why the Lord does this, but I can think of two reasons why the Lord gives us such incomplete information. He tells him to go, but he doesn't tell him what he's going to do when he gets there. I think in part it is because God wants us to trust the Bible as being the complete revelation for everything that we need for life and godliness. And he does not want us to look to guidance as a substitute for the Bible. Instead, guidance is supposed to prod us and nudge us and encourage us as we apply the Bible and give us wisdom as to how to apply the Bible in, in given situations. Uh, when I was at the uh, seminar this past week with uh, Henry uh, Wright, uh, it was a... In some ways, it was uh, there was a lot of odd stuff that was there, but there was the heart core of it was a really encouraging seminar. And I won't get into that. I'll talk to you about that another time. But uh, the pastor said he's had so many people come up to him and want him to be like a pagan diviner. 
Lord, uh, Pastor, do you have a word from God for me? He says, yeah, I've got several hundred thousand words for you. Read the Bible. Why would God give you another word if you're not taking the Bible seriously? And uh, so he is saying guidance of the Lord is not intended to be a replacement for this or to make us lazy so that we're not studying the word. This is God's revelation. But God favors us with guidance as we seek to apply it and seek to be obedient uh, to that word. The second reason, I think, is that it encourages our faith. In verse 26, the angel tells him where to go. Philip has no idea what to do, you know, what he's going to do when he gets there. He goes in faith. When he gets there, he observes. He says, there must be some reason for here, so I'm going to look as if this is a package that the Lord is going to open up. And we need to look at life that way. The Lord has these divine opportunities that He sprinkles into our lives. And sometimes observation alone will make it clear what we ought to do. Now, another aspect of guidance is that God had been sovereignly causing this eunuch to be open. And I want to comment on that more under the last point. But when Peter gets near... There's additional guidance that's given, this time not by an angel, this time by the Spirit of God Himself. Verse 29, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. And notice again, the Spirit doesn't tell him why. He just gives Philip this instruction. Go up to that chariot. And uh, uh, he gives him just the bare minimum to steer him in the right direction. It's so typical of guidance. Philip instantly obeys. So Philip ran to him. I think it is insensitivity to guidance that makes us miss all kinds of opportunities. Uh, You may be prompted by the Lord to speak to somebody, but because of fear, because of pride, because of anxiety and other issues that are going through your mind, you wait so long that the opportunity is already missed. It's long gone. The chariot's ridden down and uh, you've failed on your opportunity to talk. We need to be prompt to obey God's promptings. And because he doesn't know why he is to go to the eunuch, he engages in additional observation to find any clues as to what God uh, wants him to do. God wants us to use our head. He wants us to reason. Okay, it says, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. So probably in Philip's mind, he's saying, ah, okay, now I know what God's doing. Here's a person who's into the scriptures. Uh, What a what a perfect opportunity uh, that uh, has opened up for him. And we shouldn't be seeking further guidance when it's obvious what we should do is the point there. And so verse 30 continues by saying and said, do you understand what you are reading? All he's doing is he's trying to engage him in conversation. Now, when it says he heard him reading uh, back in the ancient days, they didn't tend to read silently. In fact, the first recorded example of silent reading that we have is in the fourth century. It was Ambrose. Augustine uh, visited Ambrose one time and he saw him uh, reading Silently, his lips weren't moving, no voice coming out, and he was astonished. And he wrote about it in his uh, in his book. And uh, the implication of what Augustine was writing is he had never seen anybody silently read. So that's why he hears him reading out loud. And hearing him, it's almost like an invitation to engage him in some conversation. He's not rude. He doesn't say, "Are you going to hell?" or "Do you want to talk about salvation?" I mean, he eases into that. He starts where the eunuch is at. And Philip immediately finds a heart that is open, friendly, and willing. Verse 31. And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. I mean, talk about effortless. Talk about amazing preparation that God has done beforehand. And this too is a form of guidance. God had so burdened this Ethiopian's heart 
that he went out and he bought a pretty expensive scripture. Back in those days, scrolls were written by hand and it cost a lot of money. It wasn't like buying our $70 Bibles, you know. It cost a lot of money to buy a scroll in those days. So it shows motivation. But what's even more remarkable is that the section that he was reading about talked not only about Jesus and Gentile conversions, but it talked about eunuchs coming to Christ. It's just, it's just an amazing thing. Now, eunuchs were not treated very well at the temple. Um, they could not have citizenship. They couldn't have leadership in the Jewish church. And just as a side note, in case you were thinking that it's kind of mean that God did not allow eunuchs to become priests, uh, one of the reasons that God gave for that is that they tend not to be future-oriented. They don't have any children, so they're not ten they tend to be thinking only about this lifetime. And so it really does make a difference uh, when you have children. Yet, here's a passage that prophesied about Messiah dying making his people come from every tribe and nation and even taking eunuchs to himself. And so why would Philip not jump on this opportunity? I mean, it's just as if God has perfectly uh, set up a Sedgeway. Now, in your outlines, I have written an acrostic someone gave to me that shows how we can be like Philip. Now, they said that he belonged to a spiritual AARP. And uh, uh, the first A is accessible. He was not dull of hearing. He was listening to God. He was not so wrapped up in the three B's that many pastors are wrapped up. That's building budgets and baptisms. Uh, the numbers, you know, boy, we need more money. We need more <laughs> a bigger building. Uh, that uh, he was driven by the tyranny of the urgent. No, he was open to God. He was willing to do what God had called him uh, to do. And if Philip was simply into the numbers, he would have stayed in Samaria. He would not have listened to the Spirit and gone to this place. It wouldn't make any sense for him to go here. He was accessible. The second A was that he was available. He was not too busy to change his schedule. He was not too racist to minister to the half-breed Samaritans. And he was not too racist to minister to the Ethiopian. He was ready. He was willing. He was available. Third, he was ready. Uh, it would have taken, I think, a bit of nerve to run up to that uh, chariot that was probably surrounded by quite a contingent of Nubian guards and going up to these guys and saying, Ooh, look at those pecs. Uh, <laughs> do I really want to mess with these guys? And maybe having other excuses that could have gone through his head. Uh, you know, this is a very important person. Do I even dare go near to this person? Uh, do I dare engage him in conversation? I'm not dressed right. Who am I to talk to this person? But no, he didn't do that. He was ready. He was ready. Fourth, he was prompt. He ran. When God calls us, we need to be a part, not of the retirement AARP, but of the spiritual AARP that has this go of the gospel written into our bones. We're accessible. We're available. We're ready. We're prompt. And then finally, God's gospel is sovereignly given gospel with a sovereignly uh, ordained outcome. Notice that Philip doesn't simply give his own testimony. He starts with the portion of Scripture that the Ethiopian eunuch had been reading. And verses uh, 32 through 33 is the section from Isaiah that he starts with. And then in verse 35 it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this Scripture preached Jesus to him. I want you to notice that he didn't use the four spiritual laws. He didn't have any set program that he was just tied into. He used what God set before him. And I want you to notice he didn't just use the New Testament. In fact, there wasn't any New Testament, was there? Uh, there wasn't a single book that had been written yet. He uses the Old Testament to preach the gospel. And this shows how mistaken we are if we think of ourselves as being New Testament Christians. Or as the New Testament has the gospel, the Old Testament has the law. No, there's law and gospel in both Testaments. And uh, we need to be familiar with the Scriptures. 
And the whole of the Scriptures, including the Old Testament, is centered on Christ. Secondly, God sovereignly prepared that eunuch to listen. And he did so in two ways. First of all, by orchestrating the environment. And then secondly, by preparing his heart to be receptive. What were the circumstances? Well, Philip had to be in the right place at the right time. The eunuch had to decide to abandon the usual route that people went on to go into this deserted route for some reason. We're not told. He had to have purchased that school, the scroll. Uh, he had to have been reading in just the right place. He had to be in a right frame of mind so as to not shoo Philip away as being a nuisance. Don't disturb me. I've got important things to do, right? Uh, the weather had to cooperate. These guards uh, had to be willing to let him come near. You know, uh, that's an unusual thing for somebody to be able to run up to this uh, up to this chariot. And whether you were thinking of the salvation of Zacchaeus or Saul of Tarsus or anybody else in this book, one of the things you'll see is God prepares the circumstances and we can count on that when we're talking with loved ones, when we're talking with anybody out there that's an unbeliever. God prepares the circumstances. Uh, he's even in control of their hearts and actually he'd have to be, wouldn't he? Otherwise they wouldn't respond. Ephesians 2.1 says that those without Christ are dead in their sins, their corpses. They can't make a first uh, spiritual move until God opens their hearts. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Jesus said, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so God has to be sovereign, not just out there. God has to be sovereign over the human heart as well, or they're not going to come. What did God do with Lydia? It says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken by Paul. See, um, other places it talks about God circumcising the heart or giving a new heart, a heart transplant. And the reason for that is because the heart is desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 It is born in sin. Psalm 51.5 It is unto every good work reprobate. Titus 1.16 The very best of our actions are called filthy rags. Isaiah 64 verse 60 Our nature is such that it, quote, cannot please God. Romans 8 verse 8 And so when you think about it, it's an absolute miracle that anybody believes. It's only God's grace that could enable that. Uh, the heart of the king... What does the Scripture say? The heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. As channels of water, he turns it whichever way he wants. Any way that he wants it to go. And so the 18th century preacher Samuel Davies said this, The success of the ministry of the gospel with respect to saints and sinners entirely depends upon the concurring influences of divine grace. Without the divine agency to render the gospel successful, all the labors of its ministers will be, in brain, will be in vain. That means I can preach my heart out to you Sunday after Sunday and unless the Spirit of God is at work in your hearts, it's not going to do a thing. It will not, it'll go in one ear and out the other and you're going to say, great sermon, Pastor, and it's not going to change you. We have to be dependent upon the, the sovereignty of God to be at work in our lives. And so let's take a look at the threefold response of this unit. And I want us, as we go through this, just to glorify God at how incredible, how wonderful His sovereignty is, His grace is. First of all, the eunuch believes the message of Isaiah that God's grace is sufficient to reach out to every race. Now, if you read through the section that 
the Bible's written in pericopes. And you read the pericope that this Ethiopian eunuch was reading, you will see references over and over again to Gentiles being brought into, uh, into salvation. And it, it must have just brought tears to his eyes when he uh, read this. It wasn't just the Jews that he loved. He loved the Gentiles. Uh, I'm not going to read all the examples in your outline. Let me just read the, the first one. The Lord has made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. What an incredible promise of God's sovereign grace to every race. The second encouraging thing that he would have seen and that he did receive with gladness by faith is that God would receive eunuchs into the closest relationship with him. And it must have been just astonishing to him how close this paralleled his exact situation. Isaiah 56 Three through four, do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. I mean, that's exactly probably what he was thinking. He was shunned in Israel. Eunuchs couldn't go into the temple. They were excluded. And so he is saying, don't say the Lord has utterly separated me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, here I am, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. He had been excluded from Israel and it must have just melted his heart to see God is welcoming him. God loves him. God has a place for him. God is rejoicing in him. And throughout this section, you hear God's promises as well to sinners. Uh, in Isaiah 53, he says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. You keep reading in there. You have the Gospel in all of its richness being proclaimed, being preached. And if you feel... You're not good enough to God because Satan keeps condemning you because of your sins. Read those passages in Isaiah. God says, I love you, child. I want you in my kingdom. I want you to be used uh, for the advancement of my cause. And so he, he believes, he obeys the message of Isaiah, and he obeys Isaiah's message concerning baptism. Now, Philip's just preaching from Isaiah, and uh, the only place in Isaiah that I could find relating to baptism is seven verses earlier than this where it says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Or you could translate it, so shall he sprinkle many Gentiles. But either way, uh, the eunuch was not bringing something utterly unrelated to what Isaiah was talking about. Peter is, I mean, Philip is teaching him what it means for the Messiah to be sprinkling many nations. And he says, I want in. What hinders me then? If, if Isaiah has already said I could be a part of this, what hinders me? And Philip says nothing. If you believe, you can be in as well. Uh, now, some people say, well, how could it be sprinkling here if they went down into the water? Well, I want you to notice they both went down into the water. They both came up, but they both weren't baptized. Okay, so if that means that they were immersed, it means they were both immersed. Uh, it's the same as it was with the baptism of Christ where he went down into the water. The Jews had very strict regulations on what kind of water you could use for baptism. It had to be living water. You couldn't use water from your leather. couldn't even touch the leather, uh, the leather caskets. And you had to wade out far enough so that you got away from the goop and the mud. How did God the Father baptize? Jesus. Spirit came upon Him. 
Uh, how are all of the others baptized in the Spirit? Over and over again, it's the Spirit was shed forth upon them, came upon them, rested upon them. Uh, and Ezekiel talks about water being sprinkled upon them and the Spirit being poured out upon them. And so what is happening here is that they go into the water and he dedicates this Ethiopian eunuch uh, to, uh, to the Lord uh, through baptism. And, uh, and uh, as one of the nations, he's a fulfillment of Isaiah 52. Next, he rejoices and he takes this message to the mountains of Ethiopia. A passage in Isaiah says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. And I think that is such a wonderful summary of God's sovereign grace to every race who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. He goes on to say, for you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations. See, this is not a message of things getting worse and worse from the time of the first coming to the second coming. This is a, a prophecy of the ever-expanding nature of Christ's kingdom as it takes over all of the nations of the world. Of the increase of His kingdom and of peace, there will be no end. Now, that was earlier in Isaiah, but this passage itself talks about uh, all of the nations coming into the covenant as a result of this Messiah uh, a sprinkling of the nations. And the eunuch obeys this. He goes and he preaches the gospel on the mountains of Ethiopia. And uh, Queen Candace becomes a, uh, a Christian. By the way, uh, Candace is just a title, just like Pharaoh is a title. And uh, in Ethiopia, it was the, uh, the, the king was considered to be the child of the son, but it was beneath his dignity to rule and to manage the affairs of the kingdom. So uh, they had a tradition where the queen mother would do that. But here the queen mother comes to Christ. She invites Matthew. Uh, he starts converting people. The king then becomes a Christian. He renounces his God status and he submits to the true God of heaven. And Ethiopia comes into the blessings of the gospel. It's amazing what a difference one person can make. One person. Will you play your part in the ever-expanding drama of God's kingdom? That's my question. Will you enter into the joy of playing a part in this expanding drama? And perhaps your role will be to host a student. I would really encourage you guys to think about that. I really, really would. Perhaps your role is just to uh, uh, open your home for hospitality to somebody else who has students or people who are in the dormitories. Perhaps it's uh, to organize some basketball game or some a volleyball game. But will you love the internationals in Christ Jesus? Will you be a part of sending people out to other countries? This is such a glorious, glorious privilege. That's my prayer that you would lay hold of it. Father God, I pray that you would enable each one of us to, to uh, lay hold of and rejoice in your sovereign grace to every race. Father, my words have been feeble and yet I praise you that Your grace delights in taking the feebleness and the weakness of ourselves and using them as instruments to expand Your kingdom. Father, use us, each one here that feels so weak and so inadequate, has fears going through their minds, has all kinds of questions and conflicts going back and forth. Help them to cast their cares upon You, knowing that You care for them. Help them to enter into the glory of service. And I pray that our church would be the church and not just uh, be uh, bench, uh, bench warmers. May we be a part of the ever-expanding uh, uh, kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in His strong name. Amen.